What is going on, guys? And welcome into another episode of the Blake Pace Podcast. I am your host, Blake Pace. We're sitting here on a Friday morning, June 29th. Hope you guys are doing well. We're here at the end of the week. This is actually my first Friday episode in forever, uh, so I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, I'm ready for a fun weekend. Hopefully going to spend some time golfing, got to work a little, but of course, before all that gets started, we have another episode ahead of us. Uh, coming up today, um, in this episode, we have another interview with Noah Zegler, a good friend of mine from The Breeze. We had an amazing conversation um, as we move into the knockout stage of this uh, World Cup that we're in the middle of right now. Of course, I had Noah on a couple weeks back talking about the group stages. We talked about some of the stuff we discussed in the original episode and then talked about, you know, how things have, you know laid themselves out to go and finish things up in the world cup over the next two weeks. Um, great conversation with him. You'll hear that in the middle of this episode. Um, but of course we're going to do, uh, my player profile today. We'll do that in just a second. And then we'll end things with our, uh, season preview for the very interesting Cincinnati Bengals. There's a really interesting situation with them this upcoming season. And, uh, I'm excited for this episode. I'm excited to send us off into the weekend. Uh, so let's get started. So we are actually on the uh, 14th episode of the Blake Pace podcast, and it's uh, an interesting one to say the least. Um, you know, I just came off of two episodes where I got to talk about some of my favorite athletes, um, specifically in the NFL with Aaron Rodgers at episode 12 and Odell Beckham Jr. at 13. And I'll be honest with you, I did not uh, like the uh, slim pickings that I had with number 14s. You know, a lot of them um, were, you know, all-time greats that I never got to see, or it was like Sam Bradford at Oklahoma, and, you know, to be honest, I really wasn't that big on Oklahoma football back then, uh, or am I now? Um, so I kind of took episode 14 and this player profile to a different um, way. I, I am using it as who I believe um can be my favorite number 14 and who's maybe on his way to becoming my favorite in the next few seasons. And that's Brandon Ingram, uh, you know, played college at college basketball at Duke, um, you know, drafted with the second overall pick a couple years back by the Lakers. Um, he is still only 20 years old. He turns 21 in a couple months, but um, still a super young guy. Um, let's see in his first two seasons, um, he's averaging, you know, 12.2 points a game, four and a half rebounds, three assists, um, shooting, you know, 43.8% from the field, 32% from three, but that's a little misleading. I'll get to that in a second. Um, you know, a career PER of 11.0 and a win share of 2.5. And why that is a little misleading is because he didn't really have that great of a rookie season. Um, and, you know, he really came alive this past year. So at the age of 19, two years ago, he averaged 9.4 points, um, shot excuse me, 29.4% from three, 40% from the field, um, you know, only attempted about eight field goals a game. And now in this upcoming season, he up or that this previous season, he upped his, you know, shots um, by, you know, almost five, four and a half shots a game increase. Um, he also, you know, averaged 16.1 points, improved his three point shooting immensely, um, which was something that people were very critical on after his rookie year. Um, and it, we knew that with Brandon Ingram, it was going to be an adjustment period. I'll talk about that in a second, but he upped his numbers from 29% to 39% from three last year. And that is, you know, a terrific mark for, um, <clears throat> for, you know, small forwards or, you know, bigger shooters to shoot 39% from three. Um, also up to his field goal percentage by 7% up to uh, 47% on the year. 
you know, um, got to the free throw line about two more times a game, upped his rebounds by 1.2, upped his um, assists by 1.8. Overall, just, you know, a much better year and a more promising year for his future for a former uh, second overall pick. And we knew with Brandon Ingram that it was going to be a process. You know, when you bring a guy who is 190 pounds at six foot nine into the league, it was kind of like what you saw with um, Kevin Durant in his early days. Um, you know, it, it was a younger guy who was, you know, taken early in the draft. He's small, a little undersized, really light. And, you know, Kevin Durant now is, you know, the same height as Brandon Ingram, well, listed same height, but is up to 240 pounds. And, you know, you look at his rookie year, he had a much better, you know, start right off the bat than Brandon Ingram did. And I'm not saying that Brandon Ingram is the next Kevin Durant, but I do see a lot of similarities in their game. You know, Kevin Durant came off the bat and started scoring 20 points a game. Um, so you knew that he was going to have, you know, time to shine. Um, of course, Brandon Ingram slowly getting up there in his second season, average 16.1. You know, they're just these smaller guys. And when you're in a, you make the jump from college basketball to where there's not as, as many, um, you know, larger human beings. It's also like in football. You're playing college football. You, you might be an amazing running back in college, but you're, you know, getting around the edge about some, you know, against lesser talent on the defensive end where, you know, in the pros, you're going to have a Khalil Mack coming after you and guys that can, you know, shut down the edge, not let you get outside. It's a lot easier to be, you know, a speedy runner in college than it is in the NFL because the talent you're facing in college is far less superior than what you get in the pros. And that's just like the NBA. You can get bullied around if you're underweight and at a forward position. When you're six foot nine, we can't put you at point guard unless you know you're Ben Simmons or LeBron James. Um, and Brandon Ingram, you know, was is still to this day undersized. He still is listed at 190 pounds. Um, and yeah, so, it, you know, Brandon Ingram... He's not a guy that I love watching right now, but he's a guy that I really think can become someone. And a lot of it has to do with the recent um, trade speculation surrounding Kawhi Leonard and the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, Kawhi has been adamant that he only wants to play for LA. It's kind of driven down the asking price or the, um, the offers from other teams, you know, like a Philadelphia or a Boston or, you know, the Clippers even. Um, you know, they know that it's, you know, a long shot that they can get Kawhi to commit long-term. So that means they don't have to give up as much. But for the Lakers, um, it would mean, you know, if they had to trade Kawhi Leonard, it would most likely mean that they are sending Brandon Ingram and, you know, uh, you know, maybe a couple first rounds, maybe another young talent like Alonzo Ball back to San Antonio. And honestly, <clears throat> that might be an amazing opportunity for Brandon Ingram. And it's interesting because the Spurs are in the curtails of Greg Popovich's coaching career. And I'm sure he doesn't want to end with, you know, some of his worst teams he's ever had, but he is one of the best guys. Him and Brad Stevens are atop the league in player development. And Greg Popovich has a much longer, um, you know, holding record of developing talent. Brad Stevens just into the NBA. But if Brandon Ingram was to make it to San Antonio, you know, he could thrive under Greg Popovich and their amazing coaching staff, and he could really develop into a great small forward. And maybe he has that top potential like we saw with the Kevin Durant right off the bat. I mean, he's a prolific scorer. He does need to put on that weight. You know, small forwards, Kevin Durant, we just said, 240. Brandon Ingram's 50 pounds less than him and, you know, listed on pro or on basketball reference as the same height. <clears throat> so I believe that there's, a, there's certain ways that Brandon Ingram's career can go. If he does get traded to San Antonio or to another destination to free up space or to get, you know, a star to come in. 
I think that is a better opportunity for his career. If he stays in LA, I'm, I'm a little worried just because as I, you know, have speculated and as all you can, you know, understand if you've heard previous episodes or you found me on Twitter, I believe LeBron James is going to the Lakers. And if not, I believe Paul George is, or th- there's a superstar within the next two years at the small forward position that's going to LA. It's either LeBron, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, or two or all three of them. That's going to be really tough for Brandon Ingram to really um, become a star that he might be destined to be. You know, if you have to sit the bench in some of the more crucial points of your career, in the developmental phases of your career, that can be a really big issue when you have to share minutes with three small forwards, three guys that play the same position and, you know, three guys that basically just play the position better because they have so much experience in the league. So at this point, projecting where the Lakers are going and their new direction, it's not, you know, it seems to be that in one short year, they've given up on the young guys and they're ready for, you know, just stars to come to LA and they're ready for showtime again. Brandon Ingram might be best off in a different situation. And, you know, of course, you know, you you start your career in LA. I'm sure any young athlete would love to finish their career as a Laker and really thrive as a Laker. But with the direction they're going in, it might be best for him to go to San Antonio. <clears throat> so, you know, this he's not a guy that I love to watch. He's a guy that I'm projecting can become a guy that I love to watch. He's a, he's a great scorer. He's a natural scorer like you see with the Kevin Durant, stuff like that. He needs to bulk up. He needs a bigger frame. Um, he's, his shooting percentages have gone up. He needs to do better from the free throw line. Um, just last year, he hit 68.1 percent of his free throws that's not great his career is even lower at 65.5 but other than that all of his numbers really seem to increase drastically in one year and I believe that you know if we get to see that continue even more so whether it be in LA on the bench or you know in like a San Antonio where he will be given a chance to start um, I think that there uh, there's a lot of upside in Brandon Ingram and he's a guy that I believe a few years down the road can be one of my favorite guys to watch Hopefully uh, for episode 15, we can get back on track with some guys that I love watching now. Um, But in the meantime, let's switch gears. We are going to listen to my previously recorded interview with Noah Ziegler. I spoke with him on Thursday, June 28th, um, just talking about the World Cup. You know, a good friend of mine, a terrific mind in the world of soccer. So let's bring him in now. This is my interview with Noah Ziegler on the 2018 FIFA World Cup. All right, listeners, we are now joined by Noah Zegler. Uh, he is a staff writer for The Breeze, um, which the student paper that I work with as well. Uh, he is a staff writer uh, for SB Nation, for whom the cowbell tolls, and he is also the DC United coordinator for Vavil. Noah, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. We got a few minutes until kickoff for the first set of games and a very pivotal uh, final day for group stage games. Yeah, of course. It's a big day. We're moving in the knockout stage, and that's why we've got Noah here. We're going to talk all about the World Cup. Uh, Noah, let's just right, dive right into things. And we talked um, in the first episode about how you weren't comfortable uh, with Germany. You know, they were listed as, you know, maybe one of the favorites again to win this World Cup. Can they go back to back? And you said that you thought that they would make it out of um, the group stages, you know, break that chain of, I believe it was two, the two previous um, victors were not, didn't make it to the knockout stage, but of course, Germany falls short, three teams in a row. Um, You kind of saw this coming. What was basically, you know, their biggest letdown in in the group stages? So from what I watched, it was interesting to see just, they, they, first off, they didn't have the core leaders that I saw 
in the 2014 World Cup. They had Miroslav Klose and Philipp Lahm, who were both national team legends for Germany that retired after they won the World Cup. And of course, you know, both of them at an older age, why not retire after you win the World Cup? So this this was kind of a World Cup where they had leaders, but not necessarily the legends that'll go down mm-hmm. in national team history. And they needed some of the young players they called up to step up. And that did not happen. And another thing to you know that I noticed was Germany wasn't they were creating chances, but it wasn't as if they were creating one on one opportunities or opportunities that make you go, they should score that or they would have scored. And, you know, especially against Mexico when I mean Mexico could have easily won three or four nothing if some of their counterattacks, you know, weren't faulted short by uh, a bad pass. Mm-hmm. But I just the chemistry wasn't there. I'm interested to see how they handle the uh, managerial situation because I'm I'm yeah. very high on their manager. But the problem is, you know, the country international soccer is completely different. You you falter at one tournament, you're out. Oh yeah, you get because very few chances. Oh yeah, so it's in. I, I don't know. I was there's questions about why didn't they call up Leroy Sané of Manchester City because he he definitely would have provided a spark. Um, whether or not. People think he's overrated or not. I think he hmm. probably should have been called up. I, I, and I, it's just weird. Maybe maybe it's because the you're the world champions. You have the target on your back. Or, you know, they, they got in a pretty difficult group. But it, it's just amazing. You know? And that's the beauty of the World Cup is South Korea was picked to finish last in that group. And they just beat Germany 2-0. Now, the second, the second mm-hmm. goal was the equivalent to an empty netter. Yeah. But um, it, it's, it's just amazing. And... And, and part of part of me kind of brought up the curse because it's it's definitely kind of a trend. It's a it's a pattern that's coming about. Kind of, or obviously it's there. Kind of like what we see in the home run derby, um, where if you mm-hmm. win the home run derby, they kind of compare your stats before and after. And um, you know, obviously correlation does not equal causation, but you know, the, you can't you can't kind of you can't ignore the uh, statistics behind. But you know, again, I. I it's just interesting. I think just a little bit of managerial uh, mistakes. The players weren't really performing well. I mean, honestly, they shouldn't. Even, they barely beat Sweden. Yeah. So that that was, man, that was a good game in itself. But again, mm-hmm. if Tony Cruz doesn't hit that world class goal, mm-hmm. they're tied, and they're not only out of the World Cup. I think at that time, or they would have been very close. That this, it was just embarrassing. Yeah, it definitely was a a rough start um, for Germany, and they weren't able to, you know, gain the traction towards the end and will miss out on the knockout stage. Um, You know, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about that we talked about first in our interview last time um, was the aspect of the United States missing out on, you know, the World Cup, some other big countries as well. Italy uh, was in there as well to not make it. Um, What were your just general thoughts of you know the group stages of this world cup where you're missing a few you know bigger countries um i'm sure the um there were a couple other teams that surprised you but just in the group stage what were your thoughts as a soccer fan did you you know enjoy having you know some other countries to root for what were, what were just your thoughts as a soccer fan on the group stages so people were kind of critical of the group stage because it wasn't as if they were high scoring games mm-hmm. um you know obviously there's the spain uh portugal 3-3 game which was incredible oh yeah an amazing but, game yeah of course but there there wasn't a 0-0 draw 
until match day three between France and Denmark. I don't know the exact. It might have been the thirty seventh game that it, it took thirty six hmm. to get the zero zero draw. Which, me personally, I think that's pretty incredible. Um, I think it's also that fans are critical about it because the twenty fourteen World Cup, I think, tied the record of total goal scored by everybody yeah. in a single World Cup. But overall, from a U.S. fans' perspective, and I, I saw this take by Grant Wall. He writes for Sports Illustrated. He's very mad because Saudi Arabia, you know, the the first the opening day of the World Cup got trounced by Russia five mm-hmm. zero, and Russia was not supposed to do that. They coming in the World Cup, they did they were not supposed to be that good. And of course, now there's reports of potential doping, but that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he says it's amazing how teams like Saudi Arabia and, you know, I won't, I won't throw Egypt under the bus. Saudi Arabia, um, I mean, you know, Panama, you know, all, all these kind of, I don't want to say small countries because Saudi Arabia is obviously a, a big country, but um, maybe small in terms of soccer and their prowess. But, and you know, he goes on to say, how are those countries in it, but not the U.S., Italy, yeah. Netherlands? And I, I just, I'll say, I completely disagree with that take because, yes, Saudi Arabia is not going to put out the best show, and yes, that is, that is the you know fault of having thirty-two teams. There's going to be, you know, that bottom-tier team that just is there. They're kind of there, so you know, just set up a future. They're there because mm-hmm. you know it's a, it's you know they control what they could control and they were able to qualify if you're gonna say or not you but you know if grant wall is going to say how does saudi arabia qualify and the u.s doesn't well trinidad and tobago would probably (laughs) lose to saudi arabia that's that's it you know i i just i don't like how it's you know oh these countries are big so they should get in no these countries are big and they lost to teams they shouldn't have lost to exactly. italy lost to sweden who sweden has now shown they deserve it yeah but italy you know in the world cup playoff playoff did not mm-hmm. control anything they made horrible decisions to their lineup you know again the u.s lost to trinidad and tobago and mm-hmm. like we, we we already covered that already but you know and, and the u.s i think tied honduras you know again yeah. i'm sorry but it's yes it's difficult to play away in this region but I mean, it's it's you, you can't say, oh, how did Panama qualify? Well, Panama didn't lose to Trinidad. Panama doesn't tie Guatemala, you know, and Honduras. It, and it's I don't know. It's I, I disagree with that take. But as a fan, the World Cup comes every four years. There could be a ton of zero zero draws, and I'd still like it. You know, there, there are zero zero games that are still entertaining. Um, right. Now, most some of them are, some of them aren't. But again, it's I, I still was able to enjoy it. Um, Maybe that's because I'm a diehard soccer mm-hmm. fan, and I've been, yeah. I've been waiting since July 2014. But, you know, there, there there's always going to be stories of, wow, how is this, does this team have any professional players? Right. And, wow, this is a shocker. Wow, the big team, you know, does this thing. And that's, I think, another thing about this World Cup is no big team. You know, I, I, big team is in Spain, Portugal, Brazil, Germany, obviously. Um maybe England have really come out and made statements, maybe Brazil more so, but 
that's that's another thing. Just this World Cup, as of right now, I think Croatia is the best playing team. But wow. you know, again, yeah. it's it's just uh, it's incredible. But yeah, I think this group stage is, you know, despite some of the big teams not showing up, there's definitely been a lot of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I agree. So, and it'll only continue to intensify when we get to the knockout stages. The games mean more. We get closer to the World Cup finals. Um, you know, so it, it was a big, you know, a narrow escape from the group stages for Argentina. Um, and, you know, looking at the teams who have qualified for the knockout stage already, they're one of two teams that are actually that have a negative goal differential um, along with Mexico. So, you know, getting in by the, the skin of their teeth. But, um, you know, looking ahead, they've got this upcoming matchup against France on uh, Saturday. And then they'll play the winner of Uruguay and Portugal. Are we? Should I expect that we might be able to get a uh, Messi Ronaldo showdown in the quarterfinals, or do you think that Argentina's run kind of will end against France? See, I, I was actually hoping you were bringing that up. I, <laughs> I want that to happen so bad. Right? It'd be amazing. That'd be such an awesome game. We'd really get to see because Portugal's biggest criticism is they are a one-man team, mm-hmm. and obviously we know who that one man is, and the supporting cast hasn't really shown up for him. And the the other game, so let's go France-Argentina. Argentina just, I, I don't know. They they didn't look good. I, I no. Frankly, they got a little lucky with Nigeria. Definitely. Um, you know, and honestly, they got a little lucky that Iceland couldn't beat Croatia. They were, they were Iceland was dominating that game. But, um, it, but France's biggest issue, and I think I said this in the uh, World Cup preview episode, France's biggest issue is their chemistry, and they still have not figured that out. They, In the group stage, they nearly lost or tied Australia, which, hmm. respect to Australia, that, that's, a, that's a game you'd expect France to do well in. Yeah. And and I, I can't think on the top of my head how they did against Peru, but it's you know, I, I, that's two teams that I think have big chemistry issues. I wouldn't be shocked if that game gets to penalties, France-Argentina, but... Um, as, as in terms of expecting it, honestly, to me, I wouldn't be shocked to see either of those games, whoever wins. Mm-hmm. I think I, my pick would be France, honestly, but yeah. there, there's just I think there's too many chemistry issues. Hmm. I really think Messi, now that he's kind of gotten past the group stage, you know, I think he's going to start, you know, carrying this team a lot more. Um, the issue is, Uruguay is starting to play pretty well. They beat Russia 3-0, and they have two lethal strikers, Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani, Mm -hmm. and they have, you know, a solid midfield. I wouldn't be shocked if Uruguay wins that, but, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo single-handedly tied Spain. Yeah, he's had an amazing start to the World Cup. Oh, yes, and it's so... Me, personally, as much as I'd love to see it, I don't expect it, but I don't not expect it because these are two games that you could really make a case for both teams. Mm-hmm. And Ar- Argentina has not looked good, but France has not looked good either. And I think the biggest difference is Argentina played against a red-hot Croatia team. Um, you know, they drew an Iceland team that has, you know, I'll, I'll admit I was wrong, uh, showed that they are still good. They are here. I think you can remove the underdog status of Iceland because mm-hmm. they are they are competing. Yeah. And they got pretty lucky against Nigeria. They had a, 
uh, a pen- uh, Nigeria claim for a penalty that didn't go their way after looking at video review. So, yeah, they, they might have squeaked by, but those are always the most dangerous teams that kind of, quote, don't deserve to be there mm-hmm. because then now they're going to think they don't think we should be there. And I think Messi, similar to what happened in the World Cup qualifiers when Argentina was on the brink of not qualifying, I think he's going to put the team on his shoulders. I think France's young studded squad and their chemistry problems might be a big of an issue. But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see it, but I also wouldn't expect it if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, I definitely have my fingers crossed for it because you bet oh, yeah. your ass my eyes will be glued to the TV for that. Um, oh, yeah. One of the other things, um, we your finals prediction, um, it was Spain and uh, Brazil, correct? Yes. Yes, so that's still alive. You still got hopes for that. You're not wrong yet. Um, are you ch- are you changing as we approach the knockout stage, or do you think that's still what we get um, in our championship game? Well, it's funny because I think that's going to depend on how today's results end up. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing is, the, I think the huge game is England versus Belgium. And it's actually interesting because people are saying, you know, I, I follow a lot of uh, English journalists, England <laughs> should purposely lose. Hmm. Because their side, that side of the bracket, compared to the other, uh, the top half, is not as star-studded. The top oh, yeah. half, you have Uruguay, Portugal, France, Argentina, Brazil, and Mexico. And then you have the winner of England and Belgium's group playing against the runners-up of uh, Group H, which mm-hmm. is Japan, Senegal, or Colombia. Hmm. And then the bottom half, you have Spain, Russia, Croatia, Denmark. So those are two teams you know croatia spain maybe denmark i wouldn't be shocked if denmark pulls off the upset yeah um and then you have sweden and switzerland so if you're england would you rather play colombia senegal or japan and then have to face most likely brazil maybe depending on how mexico comes out and then oh if you somehow win that you play probably uh france portugal argentina Hmm. or uruguay yeah or would you rather have to beat Colombia, Senegal, or Japan, then play the winner of Sweden and Switzerland, and then, oh, you know, they'd be favored in that, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. And then, oh, yeah, you have to play either Croatia, Denmark, Spain, or Russia. Now, obviously, they're not going to go out and purposely lose, because winning the group is obviously a huge confidence booster. Mm-hmm. But if, let's say, England wins that, and Belgium is the team that are you know, in that bottom half of the bracket, I'd be willing to say Belgium right now are playing better than Spain. Uh-huh. Um, you know, other than Croatia, I think Belgium, you know, is, you know, playing really well right now. And me personally, I think Belgium is going to win today, but let's say England uh, pull off the win. I- I'd be willing to say Belgium beats Spain. Um, now that the key game is going to be Croatia versus Denmark, because I-, I-, I think Croatia can win. But Denmark seems to always kind of have Christian Eriksen, uh, mm-hmm. you know, show up in the right moments. And, yeah, so if, if, if Croatia can get past Denmark and then most likely Spain, that's going to be interesting because I'd really like to see Croatia um, versus, you know, Belgium. Mm-hmm. But if it's England in, the, in that runner-up spot, I'll stick with my Spain prediction because I think Spain has a lot of stars and I, I know Croatia is playing really well and they do have the stars to do it. 
I just think Spain, they've been there before. You know, they, they kind of had this, um, you know, chip on their shoulder with their manager getting sacked. Um, as for Brazil, I think I'm going to stick with Brazil. I think um, they've played well enough to prove to me that, you know, F- Philip Coutinho has played well. Neymar hasn't really showed up like I'd like him to, but, you know, he's there. If they get past Mexico, you know, again, it kind of depends because if they get past Mexico, that sets up Belgium versus Brazil. Yeah. So I think Brazil would win that, but I think the winner of that game, if it were to happen, will determine who's going to the final. Interesting. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, a lot of things are going to shake up after today, and those listening tomorrow will know where everything is at. If there's one, you know, uh, maybe your favorite storyline of this team, I know we have the host country in, but then you just said, you know, maybe there's, you know, there's been accusations of potential doping. Um, what's your, you know, favorite storyline outside of, you know, some of these title favorites that we've gotten to enjoy and something that we can enjoy in the uh, knockout stage? So aside from, you know, the videos of Mex- Mexican fans, you right. know, serenading yeah. South Koreans and, you know, all that, my favorite story is Croatia. And that's because in recent tournaments, they've always been picked as the dark horse. You know, in 2014, they were for the World Cup and then the 2016 Euros. But they've always ran into a roadblock, whether it be other good teams or, you know, they just couldn't put the performance together. Um, in the Euro 2016, they were a minute away from penalties and then... Portugal scored at the death in extra time mm-hmm. to uh, win the game, and obviously Portugal went on to win a tournament. So that's kind of a you know what would happen if we would have won that game. But Croatia has been phenomenal. Luka Modric oh, yeah. running that midfield, they're just they put on a clinic against Argentina. It mm-hmm. wasn't even as if you you know Argentina obviously again that's that's you know their biggest question mark. You know if, if Croatia puts three past them without any conceding what could France do if they have a good game? But Croatia is doing really well. I think with a you know, seven goals scored and only conceding one and that was against Iceland and Croatia was with a heavily rotated squad. If Croatia can keep their midfield up, I really think they can either compete against Spain, even beat them, but again that's more of a you know, it might come down to the veterans mm-hmm. or and Again, they're in that bottom half of the bracket, Croatia. Yeah. So if they, if they get past Spain, <laughs> I, I'd be willing to say they could easily make the finals. Um, and that's just a kind of incredible story. Um, if you want to kind of look in a historical context, you know, obviously they had uh, the whole political spectrum of uh, Yugoslavia. But, you know, this, this, this might be the tournament that they finally put the pieces together. They have some weapons off the bench. They have, good, like, a solid starting lineup with, you know, players that are, you know, on the best teams in Europe. And I, I really like this Croatia story because, you know, it's it's it seems like it could be their time. And, of course, you know, a lot of the time it's their time and then they, yeah. you know, a team will falter. But, you know, I, I, I really like that story. Um, I really, yeah, it's, I think it's interesting. I also mm-hmm. like Sweden because, I mean, they they had to get in by a uh, World Cup playoff. But they, they looked pretty good. And, yeah, I, th- I think those two uh, countries are pretty good stories to follow. Yeah, of course. And, you know, speaking on Croatia, they have – they dominated uh, the Group D stage. You know, the the six – the po- uh, plus six goal differential that you spoke on, the three wins. Um, hopefully we can see that continue into the knockout stage. Um, but, Noah, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. Thank you so much for coming on again. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to speak with us on the World Cup, and maybe we'll get you in here 
as we approach, you know, maybe the finals or the semifinals of the World Cup. All right, and before we say goodbye to Noah, Noah, the stage is yours. Give your plug. Where can we find you? Where can we find your writing, your Twitter? Let's hear it all. All right, so my Twitter is at Noah Ziegler, just uh, N-O-A-H-Z-I-E-G-L-E-R. Um, I'm a staff writer for JMU Student Newspaper, The Breeze, staff writer for Mississippi State's SB Nation blog, For Whom the Cowbell Tolls, and finally the D.C. United coordinator slash staff writer for Vavil MLS. And, yeah, so anyways, anybody listening, feel free to shoot me a tweet, whether you disagree or agree with any of the four cupcakes I have. Yeah, of course. Sounds great. I'd love to see some uh, healthy discussion on social media between this. Well, Noah, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. I appreciate the time, and we will talk to you soon, all right? All right. Thank you very much for having me on. Mm -hmm. All right, and we are now back. I hope you all enjoyed that uh, special interview with Noah Zegler, a good friend of mine, a great writer. Um, I appreciate him taking the time to come in and speak the World Cup. I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, soccer discussion because, you know, it's surprising. I, I really didn't plan or intend on having uh, much soccer in this podcast. And, of course, it's the World Cup, so why wouldn't you talk about it? And, but I might have to keep Noah around. He's, he's a good interviewer. Um, you know, maybe we'll bring in a little MLS talk, maybe some other stuff he knows much better than I do. But we're going to switch to something I know a lot more about. We are going to go back to the NFL. And we're going to do another season preview. And, uh, you know, this one is kind of disappointing honestly you know it's a it's a interesting team to say the least um we are going to be looking at the cincinnati Bengals of the afc north um a very a very interesting team to say the least because they uh aren't good <laughs> and i'm not saying that they don't have the chance to be good i believe that their team is really kind of like a, a gold mine for young stars um, across the board, I like Shaq Lawson on the defensive line. I'm a big, big Joe Mixon supporter. Um, but, you know, looking around the roster, there's not much that I'm truly excited about. Um, and I think that it all starts with Andy Dalton. Um, you know, Andy Dalton over the last few years has kind of been a disappointment as a quarterback in the NFL. Um, of course, you know, the, the long stretch of the Bengals not making it into the, um, into the or winning a postseason game. Um, Marvin Lewis in all of his years there has, you know, made the playoffs, but not been able to get the job done. And, you know, a, a lot of that can be placed on the shoulders of Andy Dalton, you know, in what, uh, since 2011, he's played in 109 games. He's only missed three games his entire career. He does have a 63 and 44 record, but, um, completion percentage at 62.3. And, uh, you know, that's also coming off of a season where he threw for 59.9% completion percentage. That is his worst since his rookie year. Um, those numbers have been steadily declining since the 2015 season. Of course, he also threw only 3,300 passing yards. Um, also, you know, his lowest since 2015, 12 interceptions after, you know, you know, having, you know, at the beginning of his career was 13, 16, 20 in 2013, 17 in 2014, had two good seasons, 2015, 2016, um, where he combined, you know, to throw for 7,500 yards, 43 touchdowns and 15 interceptions, which is only a 1.6 interception percentage, um, you know, threw for 257 yards a game, a quarterback rating of 97.9, you know, 2015 and 2016 were pretty big years um, in Andy Dalton's career. Of course, it only contributed to, you know, a record of 16 and 12 with a tie in there as well. Um, but then, you know, Bengals, you know, coming off of a seven and nine record, I'm not hopeful 
um, for the future of this franchise and specifically Andy Dalton because he should be in the prime of his career. He is 30 years old, um, <clears throat> you know, going to be 30 in about uh, four months, but, you know, he seems to be declining when he should be at the peak of his performance. And, you know, you look, you know, his added value to the team um, as measured by pro football reference has dropped down to its all-time low at 10. Even in his rookie year, it was at 11. Um, you know, two losing seasons um, for the Bengals after, you know, five straight to start out his career. Um, you know, they went 6-9-1 in 2016, 7-9 and nine in 2017. Of course, you know, they've still been a competitive team. But you also have to think, you know, two guaranteed wins against the Browns. Maybe you steal one against the Ravens here and then. I don't believe, you know, getting Pittsburgh is all that easy in this division. And uh, let me tell you, since if we have any Cincinnati fans out there, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I'm pegging you as one of the worst teams in football. And uh, I'm going as far to say that you will finish with you know, tied with one other team and we'll talk about them down the road as we approach closer to the season. Uh, the worst record in football. Um, I looked at the Bengals schedule. I did not like the matchups. I got them going two and 14. You know, I have them at the bottom of the league. Um, I believe that their division is as tough as it's ever been. And it's always tough when you've got Baltimore and Baltimore and, uh, Pittsburgh. But as, uh, you know, as I believe with the Browns, they're entering probably their best year. And I, God knows when I, there, there's a lot of things to be excited about with the Cleveland Browns. And actually, you know, you can listen to, um, you know, my thoughts on the Browns on this coming Monday, which I believe is July 1st or July 2nd. Actually, um, I had a great, I'm having a great interview with, um, another good friend of mine, James Ferris, uh, who also is another member for the breeze is a, you know, a really intelligent mind in the world of basketball and football. We had a lengthy discussion on the Browns and, you know, one of their more optimistic seasons, um, which only means worse things for the Bengals because now you don't have to worry just about two, you know, great franchises in the Ravens and the Steelers, but a rising Baltimore team or a rising Cleveland team with, you know, a a good front seven, uh, some, a lot of weapons on offense. um, And, you know, I think that all spells trouble for the Bengals. Um, Just looking at their, their schedule, that's six or that's six games right there that I don't like in their favor. Um, Looking at who else they have to play. Let's see, they've got the Cowboys, they've got the Colts, <clears throat> or sorry, that was that was preseason I was looking at. They do have the Colts, they have the Panthers, Falcons, you know, they have to play the <clears throat> the NFC South, which, you know, have I, as I've talked about in our preview with the Falcons and Panthers, it's one of the strongest divisions um, in football. You also have to play the Kansas City Chiefs, a team I am very high on. You have to play the Broncos. The Raiders, you have to play the AFC West. The Chargers, I think, are a sneaky team, in, you know, to be considered into the um, in the AFC. Uh, certainly a team that was hot at the end of last year. I don't like this schedule for them at all. I believe maybe they can go 1-1 one one against the Browns this year. Maybe sneak out a win against the Raiders. I think the Raiders are going to have a tough year. The Bengals might be that third or the I'm sorry the Buccaneers might be that third win um, but of course you know they have to you know tie the season series with the Browns I think they could go 0 and 4 against the um, NFC South it's a tough division outside of um, Tampa Bay but you know I think this will become the end of Marvin Lewis's career of course he th- or of course his career with the Bengals of course he um, stayed with the team after rumors that he was um, going to step down 
as head coach stayed for one more year he's going to give it another go around i think it's only going to get drastically worse i think andy dalton is on a huge regression i do like their running game um unfortunately for them they've lost a lot of offensive linemen over the last few years and it's really set their team back especially in the running game because they had a really prolific duo um in giovanni bernard and uh Oh, God, they had Rex Burkhead in there as well. They had a really good um, committee of running backs. Um, and now, you know, it's, it's featured Joe Mixon and Gio Bernard. Uh, still a good duo, but they definitely need help on the uh, offensive line. Of course, um, they need John Ross to hit it off. Of course, he really was not relevant last year um, as a wide receiver. You know, last year's um, first-round pick for Cincinnati. A.G. Green, of course, is undoubtedly in that top six range of wide receivers. Always is a, a lethal threat on the field. Um, and then, you know, the defense is where it gets really shaky. Like I said, I'm a big Shaq Lawson guy. I think he is, you know, born to be a star in this league, but you've got, you're, you're getting older in your, your secondary, your linebacking committee, Vontez Burfick getting older. Um, I don't like the direction that this team is going in under Marvin Lewis. And I do believe that this is his last season. Of course, you know, you always see, you know, those certain teams that finish around the two and 14, three and 13, their head coaches kind of get the boot. Um, especially in a situation like Cincinnati, of, of course, you know, two and 14, I'm predicting that they do finish fourth in the AFC North. Um, and you know, it's tied for, you know, last in the AFC, um, you know, team MVP to me is also their fantasy player of the year. It's AJ green. Um, I may not be confident in Andy Dalton, but when you got a wide receiver like AJ green, he can get it done on a daily basis. Um, you know, the only really time I've seen him disturbed on a football field was against, uh, Jalen Ramsey last year. And he threw a couple punches and they had a fight on the field. Um, you know, AJ Green is really a consistent force <clears throat> in this league. I think he's by far and away the best player on the Bengals roster. He's the team MVP. Um, the second he steps on the field, he's also the team's best fantasy option. Although I will tell you fantasy fans, if you're listening, if you enjoy fantasy football, you got to take a look at Joe Mixon. Um, his rookie season was really misleading. And of course, I was a fantasy owner of Joe Mixon. I had high hopes for him and was kind of disappointed with the results. But I had a tough time. Um, you know, Cincinnati seemed to have a tough time putting their faith into Joe Mixon. And he really came alive towards the end of the season. I expect him to kind of be the bell cow with Gio Bernard doing whatever he can in the passing game. Um, so, you know... AJ Green is still my fantasy pick. I'm a big AJ Green supporter. Um, I love him, uh, you know, you know, as the team MVP and a guy to have in your fantasy lineups. But also, Joe Mixon, watch out for him. I think he could be sneaky good uh, in the run game. He also provides stuff in the passing game. Could definitely be, you know, a steal in your fantasy football drafts. And then on to uh, Rookie of the Year. And this is a guy I think that he got a little slept on in the draft process. He fell a little bit lower than I thought he could have. And that is uh, pass rusher, edge rusher, Sam Hubbard out of Ohio State. Um, you know, I wasn't really a big fan of Cincinnati's draft class. You know, they went first round with uh, Billy Price getting a center, getting in that offensive line. and can also play guard. Uh, they went <clears throat> Jesse Bates the third at safety in the second round. Sam Hubbard fell the way to um, the third round. And, you know... And Ohio State defensive linemen, I feel like, consistently get undervalued. Of course, you have your stars. You have your Joey Bosa's of the world and stuff like that. Um, Sam Hubbard is definitely an NFL talent and deserving so of, you know, having a good rookie season for this team. But, you know, it more comes to the fact that I'm not the biggest fan of their class. Um, of course, Malik Jefferson, linebacker. I did say they needed help at linebacker. Mark Walton, another guy to put at running back. Um, and he was taken in the fourth round. 
<clears throat> but you know, in their later rounds, they didn't really do much for me either. Um, they did take a quarterback, Logan Woodside, in the seventh round, um, and then finished off their draft with Auden Tate in the seventh round. But you know, looking at their draft class, I think Sam Hubbard has the best um, boom potential on this roster. Of course, Billy Price undeniable you know they need help in the you know interior offensive line and I think he can contribute a lot from day one but when I look at you know highest ceiling to me it's Sam Hubbard I think he has a lot of room to grow and especially a lot of opportunity in what is really an aging defense in Cincinnati outside of <clears throat> Shaq Lawson like I said and actually I just realized my dumbass has been saying Shaq Lawson I believe it's Carl Lawson yep that's right my dumbass has been calling him the wrong guy all day I'm talking about Carl Lawson defensive end for the Bengals um I think that they have a you know outside of him a really aging defensive line and I really believe that Sam Hubbard can contribute opposite side of him maybe form you know a pretty formidable pass rush um down you know a few years down the road of course Carl Lawson is another guy like I said earlier um when I was calling him Shaq that he has you know that high ceiling you know Joe Mixon as well um I believe that there are some hidden gems in this roster that just need to hit um but it's not going to hit next year um, and I think, you know, things kind of hit the bottom for Cincinnati in, you know, after a few good years of, you know, winning records, making the postseason and stuff like that. But, you know, just to summarize what I got for the Bengals going on now, I got them finishing 2-14, and 14, which is last in their division, tied for last in the AFC, and actually tied for last in the NFL. Um, team, MV team MVP, Fantasy Player of the Year, both A.J. Green. He is, you know, one of the most electric talents to set on a football field. Um, a top six receiver in the NFL. Definitely the best player, um, pound for pound, on the Bengals roster and definitely provides the most fantasy value. My fantasy sleeper pick for this team, go really high <clears throat> or maybe try and get him later on, is Joe Mixon. I believe that he really wasn't given the keys to the car last season. They were a little skeptical about bringing him in early on. Came alive at the end of the season. Getting Billy Price in there, boosting up the interior line was definitely necessary to improve um, the running game. Joe Mixon could have a really sneaky big year next year, so watch out for that if he's available late in your draft. And then the rookie of the year for me for this team, the, their rookie of the year, the team rookie of the year, Sam Hubbard out of Ohio State, edge rusher, defensive end. You know, there aren't many bright spots of the rookie class. You know, there's nothing flashy about a center slash guard. But Sam Hubbard, to me, has the highest ceiling out of this rookie class. Um, <clears throat> and I really think that he can help out a defense that is continuously getting older and worse as the years go on. Uh, I'm sorry, Cincinnati. I, you know, hopefully you can land your next franchise quarterback next year. Say goodbye to Andy Dalton. Hopefully um, it hasn't been a great stand. It, it, it's been good for Cincinnati fans. I'm sure after years of misery, you know, the what you got, you know, 2013 to 2015 was nice. Uh, I don't expect it to get any better this upcoming season, but hopefully you guys can turn things around with a new head coach, new franchise quarterback next season. And with all that done, we are thus at the conclusion of episode 14 of the Blake Pace podcast. And one last uh, note before we get going, free agency kicks off this Sunday. And what that means for the Blake Pace podcast, I know I talked about trying to get a, uh, a pure NBA draft episode out there, a little bonus episode. Wasn't able to get it out because I lost a, a majority of the audio files. But we are going to be coming with you, uh, coming to you on Saturday, June 30th, previewing uh, the NBA free agency landscape. Of course, uh, you know, LeBron James, Paul George, DeMarcus Cousins, DeAndre Jordan, a ton of guys that are going to be uh, come free agents. Of course, there's a great restricted free agency class, a lot of interesting names, Aaron Gordon, 
Clint Capella. Um, it's really going to be an amazing few weeks in, in the NBA. And I didn't want to just bottle it up into one shorter episode. Um, we're going to have plenty of time next week to talk about where teams are signing. I wanted a pure bonus episode of NBA Free Agency. Um, I can't say that we're going to have a guest yet. Got to pull some strings, see if we can get that done. But in the meantime, uh, expect that to come out on Saturday. I'm really excited about that episode. Um, and that will uh, bring us to the end of this episode. We're going to bring up some music. We are going to say goodbye. You can follow me on Twitter at BlakeAndrewPace. You can shoot me an email at BlakeAndrewPace at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your input about the show. Hear any you know comments, questions, concerns you have about stuff that I'm saying. I love a good, healthy discussion about the world of sports. Um, like I mentioned, you know, on Monday, expect you know, a great interview with me and James Ferris about the Cleveland rounds in their upcoming season a really big year in cleveland for them uh this is blake pace of the blake pace podcast we'll catch you for the bonus episode on saturday catch you on episode 15 next monday july 2nd catch